Hi, I'm Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. We've been going through the Personal Life Lesson Series, and I have so enjoyed just unpacking for you some of the most important spiritual truths that God has taught me and is still teaching me in my walk with Him. This week, we're going to tackle questions about God-centered relationships. Now, this is a topic that I've hit at other times on this podcast, but I know how critical it is in such a time as this that we are constantly exploring God's truth and God's perspective when it comes to romance, relationships, and marriage. And And even though this isn't specifically tied with the Personal Life Lesson Series, a lot of the stories and truths that I'll be sharing with you today have really been personal life lessons for me in my relationship with Eric and my marriage in my single years. So I hope you'll be encouraged by these principles. Before we dive in, I wanted to let you know a couple of things. We have a 25% off sale happening right now for a limited time on the Marriage and Motherhood online course. You can learn about that at setapartmotherhood.com or just click the link in this podcast description. If you are a wife or mother of any season of life or a mother-to-be or a wife-to-be, this course is so powerful. It's perfect for group study or individual study. It's eight weeks of just really poignant truth on how to apply the power of the gospel to marriage and family life. So again, go to setapartmotherhood.com or just click the link in this podcast description. Also, if you have men in your life who can use just that infusion of God's vision for masculinity and sexuality, I encourage you to look at Eric's eight-week Honorable Manhood online program, which is available now for a limited time for a donation of any size, and you'll have access to the material for the rest of this year. So click the link in this podcast description, or you can go to ericludy.com forward slash Honorable Manhood to learn more about that. Let's dive into questions about God-centered relationships. When it comes to romance and relationships and purity, it's hard to imagine a more confusing time in history than where we're at right now. Because even in the church, there's sort of like this fog that surrounds topics like singleness and purity and pre-marriage relationships and even marriage. My kids and I were driving past a large church in our area, which was advertising a divorce recovery program. So even in the church today, marriage itself is under a tremendous attack. If you are a single woman living in the midst of the confusion, it can be tempting to take your cues from the culture instead of the word of God. If you are a married woman, it can be very tempting to just go along with what is normal in our our world today. And if you choose to live according to a higher standard than what you might be seeing around you, you can often feel alone and discouraged. So I want to unpack some foundational truths from scripture about godly relationships. Some of these principles might just be important reminders from you, and some might be concepts you've never really pondered before. But whether you are a single or influential in a single woman's life, or even if you're married, I pray these scriptural truths will really help clear away some of that confusion and just remind you of the amazing ways of our God. The first question is one that many single people are asking today. Are purity commitments pointless or maybe even harmful? Why do purity commitments so often fail? Now, we have tackled this question on this podcast before, but I want to hit it from a little different angle today. During my teen years, I heard a lot of messages about purity, whether it was at youth group or church conferences or just from older godly people in my life. And Really, the implication was that if I embraced a purity commitment, I would have a better future marriage, a healthier lifestyle, a sense of self-respect. There were a lot of benefits that I was hearing about if I would embrace a purity commitment. 
but very rarely was purity described as an outflow of my personal walk with Jesus Christ. And so for years, I didn't really understand true purity. I was viewing it from a selfish vantage point in my single years. And when you approach purity or any aspect of relationships from a selfish vantage point in your single years, it is very easy to carry that same selfishness into marriage, which is one of the reasons so many marriages today are struggling. But for me in those single years, purity was really just a rule that I needed to follow to stay on God's good side and avoid personal heartache and regret. And that is very common among Christians today. It's why a lot of modern Christians are rejecting the notion of purity entirely. Entirely, because when it comes to purity, we are all too often committed to a concept instead of to a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And that is true for marriage as well. Oftentimes when it comes to marriage faithfulness, we are too often committed to a concept or even to a human person, our spouse, rather than first and foremost to Jesus Christ. A true commitment to purity can only flow out of a heart that longs to love and honor and glorify Jesus Christ above all else. And a true commitment to marriage faithfulness needs to come from the same place. Yes, it's a decision to love and honor our spouse, but even more importantly than that, it has to come from a heart that longs to glorify Jesus Christ above all else. When purity or marriage faithfulness are just philosophies or concepts or good ideas, we can be easily talked out of them or tempted out of them. But when purity or faithfulness is an outflow of our own passionate devotion to Jesus Christ, that's a commitment that will not easily crumble. A lot of Christians I've found have wrong motives for embracing a commitment to purity, just like I did growing up. It's all too easy to approach it wondering what's in it for us rather than having an attitude that says, Jesus has given everything for me. The least I can do is give him everything in return, including this area of my life. If you want to have a purity commitment or a marriage faithfulness commitment that really lasts and really works, it starts with cultivating a passionate, daily, intimate walk with Jesus Christ. We have to surrender to him fully and completely. We have to give him access to our entire lives, including our love life. And when he becomes the center of our existence and our love for him is greater than anything else, no one is going to need to twist our arm or try to convince us to walk in purity or to remain faithful to our spouse, because it will be our greatest joy and our deepest desire to honor the one who gave everything for us. And that is really important, even for someone like me who's been married for over 25 years to recognize that if I start to approach my marriage from a selfish vantage point, what am I getting out of this? What's in it for me? I have to get back to that place of who is this really for? First and foremost, it's for Jesus Christ. And my desire is to honor the one who gave everything for me through how I live out my marriage and in our single years through how we live out our purity and our commitment to our future spouse. We also need to remember that in our own human ability, it is impossible to live a pure and set apart and faithful life. It's only when we allow him to equip us with his enabling grace that we can really walk in obedience to him. He can do through us what we are incapable of doing on our own. So let's make a decision, whether you're married or single, to yield to his enabling power and remember that even though we can't, he can. The next question I want to tackle is this, what is inner purity and why does it matter? 
When I was a single young adult, I used to view purity as a line I wasn't supposed to cross. And in my early teen years, I entered into a lot of short-term flings where I gave my heart and my emotions to one guy after the next, and I kept venturing closer and closer to that, quote, line in my physical interactions with them. And all the while, I told myself I was honoring God and living in purity because I wasn't technically crossing that line, but inwardly something felt wrong. I knew deep down that I was giving away sacred things that were meant to be guarded. And later, when I fully surrendered this area of my life to Christ, he totally changed my approach to relationships and purity. I began to finally recognize that purity is so much more than a physical line not to cross. In fact, it actually begins on the inside at the soul level. And again, marriage faithfulness is very much the same way. It's not just an outward commitment. Okay, I'm going to remain faithful to this one person. It begins at the soul level. A lot of us grew up with purity messages that only focused on setting physical boundaries in romantic relationships, but physical purity is just the natural byproduct of a pure heart, mind, and soul. Faithfulness to a spouse is just the natural byproduct of a pure heart, mind, and soul. When we cultivate God's truth in the innermost part of our being, a lifestyle of purity is the outflow. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 36, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. What a powerful and practical reminder for this area of relationships. There are two really key areas that we often overlook when we talk about this area of inner purity. One is guarding our mind and the other is guarding our emotions. So I want to unpack both of those really briefly here. The first is guarding our mind. In Philippians 4.8, Paul outlines the kind of things that should occupy our thoughts, things that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. Whatever we feed our minds with will shape our thinking and influence our decisions. I found that one of the best ways to cultivate inner purity in my own life is to be watchful about what I'm meditating on in the form of maybe social media or movies or books. I once knew a Christian young woman who saw so many movies that portrayed affairs as noble and good that it actually changed her beliefs about faithfulness in marriage. She adopted the idea that it was okay to leave your spouse for someone else if that person was your soulmate. She got that idea from Hollywood movies. I've known other women who have been pulled into immoral relationships primarily through the influence of movies or shows or books that promoted that kind of lifestyle as normal and healthy. Really, no matter how harmless those cultural messages may seem when they come in the form of artistry or entertainment, they can quickly erode our inner purity and quickly derail us from God's pattern of set-apartness if we entertain them. If we want to keep a guarded mind, we need to evaluate whether we are meditating on the things in Paul's checklist from Philippians, things that are true and noble and pure and lovely, etc., or whether we are polluting our minds with ungodly messages, which are all around us today. We need to be willing to remove anything that could steer our thought life in the wrong direction. And that's where inner purity of the mind really starts. And also, we need to be guarded with our emotions. In Song of Solomon 2.7, it says, Young women, I charge you, do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. I found that being led by emotion is one of the main ways that it's easy to stir up certain thoughts, feelings, and actions before the appropriate time in those single years of our lives. When emotions lead the way in a relationship, 
we can very easily make foolish decisions out of impulse or impatience. It's only when our emotions are brought under the control of God's truth that we can cultivate a lifestyle of inner and outer purity. Elizabeth Elliot said the difficulty is to keep a tight rein on our emotions. They may remain, but it is not they who are to rule the action. They have no authority. A life lived in God is not lived on the plane of the feelings, but of the will. When my relationship with Eric was first beginning, we made a purposeful decision to surrender our emotions to God. We wanted to be led by him and not just our feelings. We wanted our emotions to take a backseat to his agenda. We wanted our conversations to center around Christ and not just our feelings for each other. This didn't mean that our relationship became cold and mechanical. In fact, it was the opposite. We had a lot of warmth and affection for each other. But by God's grace, our emotions were not allowed to take over and cloud our decision making. And we discovered that this was actually one of the most important principles to building a God-honoring relationship. And even now, after about 27 years of marriage, if you can believe it, letting emotions lead is always what leads to problems. And so when we ha- when we stop and say, okay, emotions are not in control here, God's truth is what needs to rule our thoughts, our communication with each other and our decisions. And then our emotions come under the truth of God and serve the truth of God. That's one of the key things that that makes our relationship stand strong after all of these years. If you're looking for practical ways to cultivate inner purity in your life, bring your thought life and your emotions under the control of God's spirit because you'll experience so much freedom and fulfillment when he is given his rightful place as the ruler of both your inward and your outward life. Here's another question. Do you end up in a lonely, frustrated, extended season of singleness when you wait for God to bring along your future spouse? This is definitely a hot topic in the church today. It's often viewed as foolish and naive to wait for God to bring your spouse into your life in his own time and way in those single years. Because what if you were still waiting for your spouse well into your old age? Doesn't it just make more sense to take matters into your own hands? We have dating apps and online matchmaking services and singles mixers so easily accessible. And so waiting on God often seems pointless and needlessly frustrating and even irresponsible at times. But we need to back up and realize that waiting on God is a spiritual declaration of our dependence upon him and our surrender to him. And it brings his blessing. Just a quick snapshot from the word of God on waiting for him. Isaiah eight seventeen. I will wait on the Lord and I will hope in him. Psalm 135. I will wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in his word I do hope. Psalm 37, 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Isaiah 40, 31. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. I believe that God is very interested in lovingly orchestrating the details of our lives, including our love lives, but a lot of us are not willing to leave the pen in his hands and wait for him to do his work because we are not finding our fulfillment in him. The enemy often tries to convince us that we can't really be happy until we get married. That's one of the biggest lies that single women buy into. When we listen to that lie, we either rush ahead of God and create an Ishmael of our own making, or we wallow in discontentment and resentment. And I've known a lot of single women who have fallen into that trap. Whether they jump into a relationship that isn't really healthy or Christ-honoring because they're impatient, or they're frustrated and resentful, and they easily jump on that bandwagon that says, hey, waiting on God just leads to heartache. 
But the key truth we need to remember is this, the choice to wait for God's timing and live faithfully for your future spouse in your single years is not what leads to that single and frustrated syndrome. What leads to that is buying into the lie that the only way to truly be happy is to finally get married. We've talked about this in other episodes, but it's such a key reminder. Corey Ten Boom said it very well. Often we set our minds on some one thing we think will make us happy, a husband, children, a particular job, or even a ministry, and we refuse to open our eyes to God's better way. In fact, some believe so strongly that only this one thing can bring happiness, that they reject the Lord Jesus himself. Happiness is not found in marriage or work or ministry or children. Happiness is found by being secure in Jesus. And this is really a critical truth for married women as well, not just for single women. Happiness is not found in the perfection of your spouse. Happiness is found by being secure in Jesus. I once knew a single young woman who was asked, are you called to singleness? And it was a sensitive question for her because she really desired to be married. But after thinking about it for a moment, she simply answered, today I am. And that was a beautiful response. She was not concerning herself with whether she would be single for the next two or five or 10 years. She knew that God had called her to be single that day, and he would give her the peace and the joy and the fulfillment and the contentment that she needed to live out that calling well one day at a time. So remember, if you are in those single years, solving your singleness does not bring a magic cure for discontentment. In fact, if you look to marriage to meet the deepest needs and longings of your heart, you're going to become disillusioned and disappointed and drag your marriage down in the process because only Jesus can really satisfy us at the deepest level of our soul. We need to build our life around him, not the pursuit of a relationship, not the pining over a perfect marriage. When we build our lives around him, we have the secret to true happiness and security. When we build our lives around Christ and find our fulfillment in him, we can trust that he'll be faithful to guide us in all these seasons of our life. If you are single, he'll guide you to the right person at the right time if his plan for you is marriage. It won't be a desperate, anxious, frustrating search for a spouse, but a beautiful outflow of your relationship with Christ. If you are married, he will guide you in strengthening your marriage, but that's not where your security and your happiness flows from. Whether you are single for a short season or a long season or a lifetime, you can rest confidently in God's promise that none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. And again, with marriage, you can trust that no matter where your marriage is at today, none of those who trust in him shall be desolate. Psalm 34, 22. Another question is, what is the best way to prepare for marriage? And I would add to that, what is the best way to keep your marriage strong? Because the answer is the same for both. And I'm going to back up and just tell you a, a short story about a time when a group of Christian singles asked Eric and I a few years ago, it was actually about 10 or 15 years ago, why our marriage had stayed strong through the years when so many other Christian marriages crumbled. We thought about it for a while and we recognized that there was really one key reason, and it was that Jesus Christ had remained our first love. It's really easy to assume that a healthy marriage depends on having the right communication techniques, going to Christian relationship seminars, reading the right marriage books, etc. Those tools can sometimes be helpful, but marriage success really boils down to one singular thing, and that is putting Jesus first. And the reason is, as we said earlier, if you enter marriage looking to your spouse to meet all your deepest needs and fulfill you at the deepest level of your soul, you're typically going to end up nagging and complaining and accusing your spouse 
whenever he falls short, which he will because he's human, even if he's a very godly man. What I would say to you is continue to abide in Jesus, put him first, find your fulfillment in him and wrestle in prayer for unity and victory in your marriage. He is very interested in answering those prayers. Another question is, how do I know if a relationship is being orchestrated by God? In my single years, when I'm looking ahead to marriage and someone's in my life, how do I know if it's a relationship that's coming from God? And what a great question. It's really a question that not that many single people ask anymore, but it's it's super important. When my relationship with Eric was first beginning, my dad made an observation that really was profound. He said, the reason I know this relationship is from God is because ever since Eric has been in your life, you've grown closer to Jesus Christ as a result. It was so true because Eric had and still has a very contagious passion for the things of God. And so when we spent time together, instead of drawing me to himself, he constantly pointed me back to Jesus Christ. In fact, after conversations with him, I would often find myself going away to be alone with God, soaking in his word, pouring out my heart to him in my prayer journal, worshiping him. That had definitely not been the case in previous relationships or even friendships that I had had with other Christian guys who had always really drawn attention to themselves rather than Christ. So in those single years, one of the best ways you can tell whether a relationship is truly God-directed is by the fruit that it produces in your spiritual life. Does the relationship distract you from Christ or does it push you towards a deeper relationship with him? Are you inspired to pursue Jesus more or has your spiritual life taken a backseat to the relationship? An earthly relationship should not distract us from the most important relationship of all, our personal walk with Christ. When God is truly the one writing a love story, both individuals can become catalysts to lead each other closer and closer to him. So if you're in a pre-marriage relationship that is distracting you from your first love, Jesus Christ, be willing to lay it down because nothing is worth violating that most important relationship. Jesus said, he who loves father or mother, or we could say husband or wife more than me is not worthy of me. No matter how exciting an earthly romance may seem in those single years, nothing is worth jeopardizing your relationship with the one who gave everything for you. And then the last question that I want to tackle is this, what if I feel like it's too late for me to experience God's best in relationships in marriage? This is something I struggled with a lot in my single years because of previous mistakes that I had made. I grew up in a Christian home, but I was not walking according to God's pattern in this area for a number of years. One of the enemy's tactics is to keep us away from God's best by constantly holding our past mistakes over our head. And he tells us it's too late for you. So why would you even bother pursuing something better? But we need to remember that a Christ-centered love story is not just something for those who have never compromised. In fact, the very reason that Christ sacrificed everything for us was to offer us the chance to be restored and washed clean and given a hope and a future. As he says in Luke 5, 31 and 32, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It is never too late to be restored and made new by his amazing cleansing blood. Repentance means turning and walking the other direction. Once you awaken to the fact that you are heading over a cliff, stop, turn, ask God's forgiveness, and then by his grace, head in the other direction. There is no reason to look back or second guess your position as his child. You shouldn't expect a second rate version of romance. Once you have been restored by him, you are clothed in his righteousness. You are entitled to all 
all the benefits of his heavenly kingdom. And your forgiveness is complete. Your sin is removed from you as far away as the east is from the west. It is finished. Don't base your acceptance of his forgiveness on whether you feel forgiven or not. Base it upon the unchanging solid rock of his truth. As his word says, he has promised and he cannot lie. And if you are married and struggling with past mistakes that the enemy constantly holds over you, you can stand on this very same truth, not to base your understanding of God's forgiveness on whether you feel forgiven or not, but upon what the word of God says. And when you choose to simply agree with God, that can transform your marriage. Because if you are wallowing in guilt over the past, it will drag your marriage down. So in a world where Christ-centered relationships are becoming more and more rare, and where Christ-focused marriage is becoming more and more rare, and God's pattern is actually being openly mocked, sometimes even within the church, it is my prayer that we will choose by God's grace to walk a different way, His way. Remember, God's way is always the best way. As it says in Psalm 1830, as for God, His way is perfect. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into Christ-centered marriage or Christ-centered singleness and purity, please visit us at setapartgirl.com and setapartmotherhood.com and see the many resources that we have for you there on both of these key areas. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.